Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film Squawk. Twilight Rift Tracks. Commentary by Mike Nelson, Kevin Murphy, and Bill Corbett. 2009. Three white men suckle at the patriarchal teat as they riff on 2008's vampire phenomenon. Whether you're new to Crow Talk or a seasoned listener, you're joining us during a singular time in 21st century history. As you're critically aware, coronavirus has rerouted normal life, tipping everything expected on its head. This podcast is no exception. Instead of recording Season 3 episodes from our studio at Western Washington University, we will be podcasting from our couches and remote workstations. We will use headphones with tiny microphones as dogs bark outside and our partners quietly bring us tea, just as the quality of our production must shift. So has the dynamic of film viewing. So... Welcome to our Season 3 series, Streaming in the Time of COVID, where we will reflect on the experience of viewing, share yays and nays, squawk our opinions, and consider takeaways. Things we want to remember moving forward about this film, or film in general. I seriously wish I was a vampire. Do you really? Yeah, I mean like a Twilight vampire? Yeah, Twilight vampire only. Hell yeah, you can like walk through the ocean for days and be like, (laughs) fine, you can like cover yourself in a blanket of snow. Just like hang out in the wilderness. Fine. You shine like, bright. Can hurt you. You shine bright like a diamond. You look like a fucking diamond. Bleep that one out. <laughs> I felt so many feelings about this podcast and about this journey, this book NATO journey that we're going on with the release of Stephanie Meyer's fifth installment, fifth full length installment. Uh, in the Twilight Saga, Midnight Sun, and we thought we'd be big cheaters and take a Rift Tracks from the original Twilight, a Rift Tracks that was released in 2009, and revisit this contemporary phenomenon rife with issues and incredibleness and passion and different meaning for each of us. So as big cheaters uh, who... uh, Decided that Rift Tracks was a suitable alternative to watching a film or streaming a film, if you will. Uh, how many of us have experienced using Rift Tracks in the past? Cassidy here, Cassidy Leesbrook. Hello. <laughs> and yes, yes, I have listened to Rift Tracks. Rift Tracks extraordinaire. Cassidy Leesbrook, Rift Tracks extraordinaire. <laughs> Stacy here on the microphone. I have not delved into Rift Tracks. Cassidy is the one who introduced me to Rift Tracks, though I did watch Mr. Science Theater 3000. Oh, same. In my younger days, where it all began. So Stacy, you know, is a bit of a noob. Cassidy's old hat. And I have no experience with Rift Tracks outside of this specific viewing. And what a viewing it was. What were some yays for this 2009 it came out on April 4th, so 4-20-2009, Twilight Rift Tracks experience. Wow. A yay for me is experiencing a film that you've seen a bunch of times, but, or for me, at least, oops, caught me. I watched Twilight <laughs> frequently. Uh, oh, I am shocked. Good God. So to see a film medium with like another artistic medium thrown on top of it in kind of a fun way. You know, I like that interactiveness and it did make me laugh really hard though. I want to like throw my nay in immediately after saying, <laughs> yeah, it was really funny, but we'll get there. Just a big butt. But Stacy, your turn. It also had some great one-liners for me, you know, yay. kibbles and bits. <laughs> I will take with me forever whenever I see so certain characters on the screen. We're not in spoiler territory yet. So Mine is just... Ladies. But you can't guess what's on screen when that one happens. No spoilers. A yay for me would be... I don't have any yays. I hated this Rift Tracks. <laughs> I've never not tried to find a yay. But I instead of repeating what you said, because I agree with what you said, but I have nothing original to contribute. So let's get to the big butt in mm. the room, mm-hmm. which is that it's racist AF and homophobic mm-hmm. and like dated beyond 2009. And I feel weird even talking about that we've watched Rift Tracks or that I've listened to them in the past because it's atrocious. Some of the shit that they say is just like offensive. Mike Nelson, Kevin Murphy, and Bill Corbett were our commentary hosts. 
on this wild ride and they can tell a joke, but so many of the jokes were lazy and singled people out for racist or misogynistic or cliche asides. And I just, I like a really funny joke at the expense of something I enjoy, but not a really lazy one. And just a a very hurtful one. It was just illuminating for myself because I've become way more sensitive to this type of humor, I guess, in the past few months, even. I feel like I'm a different person. That makes me (laughs) think about, you know, Stacy six months ago, like, who the fuck were you? Some like racist, sexist person. It just becomes normalized in our culture. You know, like it has been normalized and it is the epitome to me of like 19 late 90s humor you know just that like nerd like the archetype of just a white man with a chip on his shoulder it just encompasses like that entire idea for me and yeah it's like a weird numbness and something we've like unfortunately gotten used to and thank goodness because of black lives matter all of us whiteies are like (laughs) paying attention in a different way and like catching things that have been normalized for us that would have just like gone on in like the general chatter of entertainment before And I like to think about 2009 Rochelle and how differently I would have experienced this Rift Tracks. And I would love to extend that same perception and perspective to Mike Nelson, Kevin Murphy, and Bill Corbett, who I want to believe would feel differently today as well. And my my racism, my overt ridiculousness isn't captured for everyone to still listen to. So for that, I'm pretty grateful. Holy shit. Oh, Welcome back to this podcast in a couple of years. <laughs> Be like, no. So I did a little bit of research on Rift Tracks, though it was kind of hard to find anything about it, especially about racism. So I was Googling, like, is Rift Tracks racist? <laughs> to see if anyone had an opinion, because at least... Within people I know, they've listened to riff tracks and, you know, it's not a super fringy thing in my world, in my very small corner of the world. Um, so I was surprised it was so hard to find other people's reactions about riff tracks because I'm sure all of them are similar, at least around that time period, you know, and they have a ton. So anyway, that being said, I found some kind of fringy articles about this topic and there's a podcast apparently that Mike Nelson participates in and it's he and another man. I think there's three of them, but the main guy that this article discussed is named Doug Tenapel, Tenapel. And basically the criticism was that it's a very homophobic, it's like promoting homophobia. And I guess they're both like very right-winged Christians, which that's fine internet. If that's your thing. Okay. But, but the big butt in the room is the, you know, this article at least was saying it was quite homophobic and like promoting homophobia. The racism stuff was harder to find. I didn't find as much about that, but I am pretty shocked that there's not more threads about it because it is blatant and rampant throughout the whole track. So, you know, maybe it will become a conversation eventually amongst the video nerds out there that are riff tracksing. I don't know, but I, yeah, pissed at those guys, which is like, what, who damaged you other than uncle Sam? Patriot of America. <laughs> they sound like incels. There have got to be tons and tons of riff tracks for lots and lots of different films. And so people are listening and they're they're spending the $3.99 to get just the jokes. And, you know, this one was, this Twilight Riff Tracks was specifically a content rating of TV14. And it had a riff meter rating of 9.7 from like 1,300 votes. So that obviously speaks to a, a listenership. I am surprised that there's not more. I couldn't find very much either in my research uh, that spoke to it. Yeah, there's nothing. But you can like find that he won a Peabody Award though. It's like, okay, internet. Thanks for that. So overall, not my favorite Rift Tracks experience. However, we still had a blast because we were watching Twilight. And if you haven't caught on by now, we're Twilight fans. Some people would say that not all fans in fandoms are created equal. And I would disagree because everyone has a different story. They have a different time in their life that they engaged in something. They have a different connection. Uh, Some individuals get involved in fandoms way deep into the storytelling. And so their connection is completely individual. And that I think is what sustains fandoms and 
plays into the concept of phenomenon. So no matter what level of why hard you consider yourself to be Cassie Stacy. I have a couple trivia questions for you just to see, because there are lots of different facets of, of Twilight, uh, of the world, of the <laughs> megaverse. <laughs> and I just want to see what pieces you have been exposed to, or maybe what pieces weren't a part of your personal, valid, beautiful Twilight experience. I'm just like buckled in. All right. So what night did Stephanie Meyer have the meadow dream? For context, Stephanie Meyer explained in articles in her official illustrated guide that she had a dream that completely showcased, completely introduced a human girl in love with an immortal. And if you know, chapter 13 is the, the special meadow scene in the original Twilight book. So what night did Stephanie Meyer have this prophetic meadow dream? A, April 9th, B, September 13th, C, October 28th, or D, June 1st? I'm picking the obvious. My intuition says June 1st. What's your answer? Cassie? I was just going to say September 13th, chapter 13, laziness, go. What is it? Well, and September 13th is Bella's birthday. And the day after my mom's birthday. Ah. Well, June 1st is my birthday, and that is ah. the night that Stephanie Meyer oh! had her video dream. <laughs> she started writing Twilight essentially chapter 13, writing it down, writing everything down that she had experienced on June 2nd, 2003. That was the year I graduated high school. <laughs> oh my God. This book is about Rochelle's life. I know, right? Oh, Whoa. <gasps> okay, next question. How many chapters of Midnight Sun were leaked in 2008, forcing Stephanie Meyer to post the unfinished manuscript online and abandon it for a decade? A, 11, B, nine, C, 14, or D, 12? Going with 11. I'm gonna go with 14. The answer is D, 12. Oh, no. <laughs> so she essentially wrote up to the meadow scene um, for, for Midnight Sun and had that all written. It's actually, in my opinion, quite a bit different than what we just read because we all just completed uh, the 2020 release of Midnight Sun. So you but, read it when it leaked, Rochelle? Oh, yes. So what ended up happening was Stephanie Meyer wrote it and shared it with a few people and someone leaked it. And it was all over the internet. So then Stephanie Meyer actually posted it on her website for her fans to read and said oh, that okay. she was walking away from the project. Yeah, it was devastating. We've been waiting for this for a very long time. I actually bound a copy of <laughs> the unpublished Midnight Sun and gave it to my adopted sister, Brittany, for her 18th birthday. <laughs> That's amazing. It's quite a bit different. The character development, specifically for Edward and the, the degree of his suffering, as well as the insight that he has to the world, as well as the quality of writing are all far superior. Mm. But it was all there. It's, it's a draft, right? Wow. How many Twilight-inspired stories are archived on fanfiction.net? A. 100,000, B, 72,000, C, 135,000, or D, 90,000? 135,000. The biggest number. Yeah, it totally is. It totally <laughs> is. It's 135,000 stories. But the Harry Potter franchise has over 600,000 unique fan fiction stories. That honestly, that number seems low to me. Like, for both, <laughs> for both franchises, it seems low. Okay, this is an open answer. What would you guess is Stephanie Meyer's net worth? Hooey! One billion. Uh, Close to one billion? How? Yeah, maybe one billion was too much. Now I don't Five, know. Five hundred million. Just tell us. <laughs> I think that J.K. Rowling is just now getting to a billion. Okay. Like 50. I was going to say 43. Stacey keeps changing her answer all over the place. I can't even <laughs> So Stephanie Meyer is worth... $125 million as of 2020. Wow. Okay. I think Midnight Sun is doing very well. I mean, how could it not? Yeah. Oh, no. She's written like multiple blog posts, like send all this love out to her, her fans, just cause I think she didn't think we were waiting. We were waiting and we're here and we're waiting again now in a more yeah, in way. <laughs> we are okay. okay with that. Final question. This is also an open answer. What was the original pre-publication title of Twilight? I've read this. Yeah, I've read it before, and I don't know off the top Hang of my on. head. This is one I forgot. I had Are to go digging. Are hints allowed? Are hints allowed? 
Are hints allowed? No, no hints yet. It correlates in a way I didn't even think about until today. I don't know why. With food. Something like apple. apple. Like Aphrodite's apple. Food. The poison apple. And location. The Washington apple. <laughs> it's not like apple. a drink. Apple and forks. <gasps> Fork and Fork apple. And apple. <laughs> <laughs> How about just forks? That's what it was. It was, just, oh. it was forks. I knew that. I knew it. Has Stephanie Myers like, been to Forks? No. Okay. Well, now she has maybe, but not before writing it, as far as I understand. That is wild. She did a great job. <laughs> well, and Twilight originally came out in 2005. And I'm super curious now that we have all read the 2020 release of Midnight Sun, and we've all read the other books as well, Twilight in 2005, New Moon 2006, Eclipse in 2007, and Breaking Dawn in 2008. I've also read The Short Second Life of Brie Tanner, which was released in 2010 between Eclipse and Breaking Dawn, but I'm not sure if everyone else has had the opportunity to read that short story, a uh, novella, really. But Midnight Sun casts such an exciting new lens on characters that many people have been hungry to know more about. I think that that's really what birthed the fan fiction fandom, uh, was wanting to know more about the inner lives of specifically the Cullens, but, but also understanding more about superpowers that vampires have, the mythos that Stephanie Meyer created, which was wildly different than, than other vampire lore than we'd experienced. Ultimately, this book franchise changed the face of how young adult was published, how it was showcased in bookstores, and even genre descriptions were all changed because of this series. Now, in hindsight, we can probably remember our first experience with Twilight and how we feel about it now. The mood that I tapped into in 2009 when women in like their 40s who worked at a restaurant I worked at were like, you have to read this. It'll make you want to go hump your high school boyfriend, literally is how they describe Twilight to me. <laughs> and I went to school on the East Coast and I had planned to move to Washington. So I like bought it and was reading it. I think I was on like the second or third book, but like on my drive to Washington to relocate here, which was kind of a fun oh, yeah. thing. So every time I read it, it puts me in the same mood, which is this like angsty, emo, like, yeah, it's kind of like a dark mood for me. <laughs> Ooh. I like that. Then and now. So it's like same for me. It taps right, like I get right back into it where I was years ago. It also transports me to that time. I'm trying to remember if I just saw the book at the bookstore. I think I'd heard about it. I think that there was some buzz beginning around the book. And that's what prompted me to read it. But Midnight Sun definitely allowed me to have that newness. No. The only way I can describe it is like virginal again. I was like a Twilight <laughs> virgin again. It was a little bit like reading it for the first time. Even though I knew what was going to happen, it was that different perspective that was exciting. And, you know, I definitely am, I do feel like a different person now than I was back then in some ways. Like the core of me is still the same. But I was very, very quickly able to get right back to that that mood, like you said, Cassidy, and that feeling. And it was a very unapologetic time for me. And I, I feel like that was part of it. The phenomenon around it is that people were unapologetically into it and embracing it. Mm -hmm. it didn't matter what your age was or your gender. Like you just, it was okay to be reading Twilight. You know, like my mother-in-law at the time was like, crazy into Twilight and I was like are you serious like this is typically something that you don't talk about you know it's that guilty pleasure so I was thankful to get back in touch with that feeling of just saying like yeah I love this like and that's fine you know what I mean I haven't Absolutely. like I haven't been able to sink my teeth into something like that in a long really I don't think anything after Twilight I've been able to really invest and be like yeah I'm fine with that you rest the world, you deal with it. Look at me. I'm not apologizing. I think that that was my hesitancy a little bit with this because for me, Twilight is my wonderland. Like I step into it and I get completely consumed. And it hasn't been that way in so long because it's quite a time investment. It's also an emotional investment. And uh, for, for people who 
went to releases and talked about it all the time and wrote fan fiction and were a part of communities or traveled for it, visited Forks, whatever that looks like uh, for their own experience. It it was consuming <laughs> financially, it was consuming um, creatively, and it was such a t- like a slice of time. Like it was just this, this incredibly important moment in my life. And I know that some people would be like, oh my God, that's so ridiculous. But I hope everyone gets to have their own Twilight experience with some sort of fandom because it can just alter the way that you learn to appreciate appreciation. And so though I had all of that and I hold that and I carry it with me, you know, I set it down and it's, it's a part of the past. And so Midnight Sun coming back out or finally being released, I should say, uh, was like a tsunami, but of like a quiet one that I was holding inside my little heart, you know, <laughs> I'm like, oh no, what's this going in my life. And so I really kind of put it off. We got the books like right away. We all three got the books so that we could be prepared for this podcast. And I sat on it for a good two weeks, a week and a half, two weeks, which is bizarre because when I was first introduced to Twilight, I was a little late to the game. I had passed the book at Barnes and Noble years before Stacy and I actually were employed at Barnes and Noble together. And I picked it up, read the back. And I'm like, Ugh, hasn't anyone ever heard of Buffy? And I just walked away because I was like disgusted. Like, why would you tell this story again? And it's obviously a very different story, but that was my experience. So when I finally did read it, I read them in a landslide uh, and immediately got swept away. And that is definitely what Midnight Sun did for me once I got past my fear, kind of closer to like page 250. And I was like, oh, it's okay, Rochelle. It's okay. Enjoy it. <laughs> you can like this. This is good. You won't, you know, you're not going to completely give up everything to start writing another fan fiction novel. You're fine. Just keep going. So I had a great experience with it. But my reticence, I think, was just me protecting the importance of something that still matters to me today. Well, I'm so grateful, Rochelle, that you have such a fandom background with Twilight. <laughs> I like appreciate that a lot. I got to really uh, embrace it with people I love. So my sisters both were really into it. Uh, we went to every single movie release together. We had t-shirts made. We went to every DVD release together. We went to every CD release together at Hot Topic, Borders, RIP Borders for those beautiful box set <laughs> DVDs. I didn't poster my walls. You know, I was an adult. I was married. You know, like my sisters are like five years younger than me. So it was a little different, but we were all out unashamed, totally, totally in. Did you guys get involved in, did you see the films in theaters and things? Yeah, I read the first one like right before the film released, right before the first movie. And yeah, that's I love that type of a book journey. Even with Harry Potter, though, I've seen all the films like rereading and watching as you go. It's really fun. But I think I like binged the books before, you know, like I read them as quickly as I could get my hands on them. But that was it. Like, I definitely watched all the films. Laura Baker came with me eventually. She and I would always go. And I definitely was not ashamed. Like, I was like, yeah, let's go in a group to this. But I didn't get to the point of, like, T-shirts or, like, go to any events or, you know, maybe if there was something, like, locally, I would have gone, though. I don't know. And I haven't been to Forks, though. If I do go at any point, I will buy Twilight Firewood, (laughs) which supposedly is there. It's there. (laughs) It is definitely there. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to actually place when I read the books. I must have started in like 2005. That's when Twilight came out. No. And then I must have been like the year after. But I was reading it as it was coming out. And I remember definitely being very excited for the film and feeling let down by it. <laughs> um, that was something that reminded me as well, reading Midnight Sun, how much I really did love the books versus the films. Because now I revisit the films and it's fun, but I've never revisited reading the books. Oh. And they're so different, you know. They're so very different. And I appreciate the movies, and I, of course, love watching the movies. They're so much fun. Rereading Twilight holds up, P.S. Like, I bet it I've does. It. Have you? Yes. Have you, Rochelle? I haven't. I've, oh, read, I've, read I've them, only done it once. I've read them all four times, but it's been a decade, you know, almost. Oh, what a perfect time to just, like, in the meantime, Stephanie Myers, hurry up. 
just reread all of the old Well, and that's the thing. So like Stephanie Meyer was always unabashedly who she was. And she was always like, I am the writer that I am. And if I had three more months with this book, it would be better. (laughs) If I had three more years, I'll be a better writer. And she's, she's always very clear about that. And so I appreciate that still being prevalent in how she communicates. But I could definitely notice, even having spent 10 years away, uh, a drastic improvement in just sentence structure and clarity of, of thought, I think, uh, for for Edward, which was wonderful since we're in his head so much and he's clairvoyant. No one here can meet Rochelle on the like twilight level of intensity and amazingness. <laughs> I have been to Forks. And- <laughs> With me! <laughs> No, this was before. This was before I met you, Rochelle. Or this was before Ooh. us. This was with Paige. We went to Forks. Gosh, I think it was twice. Maybe it was just once. And we would like play the soundtrack as we were entering. Like the minute we got into Forks, it's when the fun. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, swear to God, this happened. Okay, mm. we were driving to our campsite. Driving in the car, looked over in the woods, and there was a red dog what? running it looked like a wolf there was jacob okay jacob come back that was crazy and then we go we're trying to get to our campsite but we got lost so we pass the ranger we stop at the ranger station and this ranger comes out with a fucking billy burke mustache oh man he was charlie and we were like what the fuck? I'm pretty sure he brought us like firewood. He was like concerned because it was about to monsoon and it did. It was terrible. We slept in the car, but we were just like high because we were like, Twilight is real. <laughs> cool. Oh my gosh. I've only been to Forks twice too. One time with my sisters for Forever Twilight Days, <laughs> which was held over September 13th to celebrate Bella's birthday. It was during the, the heart of it. I mean, there were Forks um, specialty stores. There were Twilight specialty stores. You could tour the high school. There were short films that showed at the high school. We all got like special jewelry that we all wore for years. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got to experience her speech and the push and our worlds were rocked. At the I have been to the push. Oh, so it's gorgeous. That push. <laughs> I mean, we are very spoiled because we live where it all took place so we get to like revel in the landscape of the film and the books oh i had a question i want to circle back around now when you read twilight who do you see as the characters like robert pattinson and Kristen stewart it's just like burned in there because that's how it is for me now i can't help it now they are those people for sure well and i read the books later just as the movie was about to release and so all the promo was out i never had a different version in my head yeah, I don't, I could not recall what they looked like in my mind. It's now, yeah. it's them. I had that thought when I was reading Midnight Sun. I was like, what did I used to imagine like Edward looked like? Stephanie Meyer, when she originally wrote it, I believe she imagined Henry Cavill as Edward. Okay. I think he auditioned. Oh, did he? And he didn't get it. I'm looking up. I'm not sure. I just know that she had imagined him or she, I read something many, many moons ago that she imagined him in the role when she wrote it or, you know, after it had been flushed out a bit. And well done. Yeah. It's a good imagining. That's nice. She went a really different direction, didn't she? With the casting. I, I mean, our Pats, when she was writing it, was he even in Harry Potter at that point? Yeah, probably. Yes, yes. He was? Yeah. And he was like a heartthrob. But he was just arriving, you know? He was. Yeah, just Cedric. That's That was his yeah, claim to fame. And if you didn't watch Harry Potter films like I hadn't yet, uh, I still can't believe that. Anyway. We uh, won't even get into that. That's like an hour-long conversation. But Twilight is not without its controversy. In fact you really can't have a conversation about Twilight without some very specific trigger words coming up. Consent, infatuation, abuse, lack of agency, a lot of really important questions circle around this series. And I would love to hear more about your thoughts about these story components, like the romance and family and 
morals and monsters? I mean, I had moments. Yeah, I get completely wrapped up in Twilight and 2009 Cassidy, because that's I think when I was reading the first book didn't or I don't remember like feeling jarred by the age gap. And I think it's because in Midnight Sun, they refer to Bella as a child over and over again. Like they refer to Bella as a child. The Cullens do. Well, he definitely talks about the other children in the classroom. Like he, he says that so frequently. I think he does refer to Bella as a child before the van, like early, early on. Oh, that makes sense. The distancing. Yeah, oh, totally. And so I think because of specifically that language being introduced in this novel, it would like, yeah, I would get like jarred out of it sometimes throughout the whole book too, where I was like, wait a minute, this is just so inappropriate. And like, no one's talking about it. Like the call, no one's talking about it. No one's talking about it. They're like, oh, but she's a human, not like, oh, she's a child. And also in today, 2020, like men who have sex with underage women, like go to jail. And we're not even talking about like, you know, some of them are considered pedophiles. So that for me is really hard to hold the entire time. And and I'm like, is the vampire thing going to get outdated eventually? Because it just seemed, I don't know, it's a hard line to walk personally. I was definitely keeping that in my mind. But for some reason, (laughs) it doesn't feel that way to me. And I don't really know why. I think what affected me more was just the whole concept around there was one person and once you find them, the world is over and they're your world. That story doesn't really work for me anymore as I've gotten older. So like Bella not being able to even like function or both of them for that matter, not being able to function at the at the idea of them even leaving the room sometimes. It's just like, whoa, this is so unhealthy. But I don't know because I, I, I kept thinking about that as far as like how old he is even though he's so young, you know, he's sort of captured in time as a 17 year old, even though he has all this knowledge, it's tricky, but it didn't feel inappropriate to me for some reason. So what does that mean about me? I don't. Well, it didn't gross me out. Like it just, I had just moments where it like took me out of the story sometimes. What struck me differently this time around was my response to that infatuation, Stacey, and how much it kept me from in any way, shape, or form seeing them as different in age because they were both so high school about it. It was just so adolescent. It was so that first everything, you know, and not everyone has that experience, but I know the feeling of infatuation. I know I remember that. And I don't know if I'd really had it when I read Twilight the first time. And so now having had that as a part of my story, I can now look back and say, oh yeah, that unhealthiness, it wanes, hopefully. And knowing what comes next in the stories, it kind of opened up a different side of it for me. Not only did it keep me from being eked out because they're sharing in something for the very first time together, and it helps that there's absolutely no sex. I think that that would probably feel different. Yeah, I mean, I do get that with the innocence. Again, for me, I literally think it was like the word child on the page. It stuck out to me, especially when he was talking so much about others as children. And it's just like, well, she's exactly like called the Jacob same. a child and like Bella yeah. got offended. And I was like, yeah, woo. This time around, their incessant infatuation was sometimes annoying to me. And it really wasn't the first time or the first four times I read Twilight. It really wasn't. I didn't I didn't really feel that. I could see how it would be, but it didn't feel that way to me. And this time I felt it. Sometimes it went a little bit too far. It was like two pages, like two entire pages, too far of them just coddling each other. And I'm just like, okay, let's keep going. There's more story here. I want to know more about Jalice. You know, like, like there are other things I care about. But that I think was a fun revelation for me this time around as far as the romance goes. Same. I really wanted to learn more just about the Collins and mainly Carlisle. I think Carlisle is the coolest. So fascinating. This little backstory. That family unit that they create has always been such a fascinating point for me, especially where the Collins are involved. I've always wanted more and I loved getting even just that much more about, you know, Alice, Jasper, Rosalie and Emmett. Yeah, this perspective actually made me realize like we don't know shit about Bella, really. Like even through this book, it was like, yeah, probably her childhood was like a little messed up and or you know like unattentive or something was going on there but we're not gonna talk about it like Bella seems broken in a way and for someone to like I don't know I just found myself thinking of like wow Bella's just willing to like walk away from her mom and dad like forever 
and just choose somebody else in such a serious end of the road sort of way. And and then just like barely touching in about Renee and stuff throughout the book. It just made me curious, like, wow, what did happen in Bella's past? And like, what's up with Renee and Charlie? And she's obviously very broken, especially at that age to like not want like the nurture of your parents anymore and be like, yeah, see, ya. I'm going to go live with the Cullens now. Bye. I'm a vampire. Bye. But I can see Rochelle's point about that high school infatuation and like, and like having that idea of, <laughs> yeah, and like having those first butterflies that you got around that age or whenever you got them, some really early. maybe. And just maybe instead of going to like, we're breaking up before college, just being like, let's get married and spend it <laughs> <day> together. <laughs> but I mean, Twilight is sort of putting that feeling, that state of mind into eternity you know I mean that's what happened to Edward and getting his inner monologue he he talks more about getting back in touch with his humanity Uh and that emotional side of him which would have been locked away at 17 so he's just sort of having he's he's just now getting back to his emotions his 17 year old emotions and that's where she's at so it's like yeah you you put that in a box forever and they're just gonna stay there forever that doesn't actually sound terrible to be like locked in that infatuation state for forever it sounds amazing and to like sounds pretty cool, with, uh, and to like live with the colon well and stephanie meyer did something different in this that i really was surprised by she called renee a narcissist yeah did like, anyone else pick up on yes, that and i think mm-hmm. that's what led me to being like what happened to you bella it all just feeds into what i've been saying for years is that bella has been constructing her own worlds for so long and she hasn't found the world she believes she fits in with perfectly and we get it at the end of eclipse where her and Edward have this long discussion about how, yes, she loves him, but she's not becoming a vampire because of him. She's becoming a vampire because she's finally found the world she belongs in. And then we learn that she could not be more right because she's the most freaking powerful of all of them. So there's like all this foreshadowing, right? But that comment about Renee and the narcissism really stuck out to me. Just like the way we finally get to see Bella be nurturing and and thoughtful and empathetic and really meet people's needs and be a a big giver, uh, just through his viewpoint and how she gives to her friends and how she picks up on what they need. We don't get that from her perspective. And a lot of people have criticized her as bland or, or blah. And ultimately, from Edward's perspective, she's just quite selfless. And I guess selflessness is kind of boring because you're not chattering on about yourself like Jessica. Like Jessica. Jessica's so annoying. Anna Kendrick saved Jessica's entire character because in the book, she's obnoxious. It's true. You know who was great was Angela. Angela was a great respite and I liked having that balance and I loved getting to see Edward create that match between her and Ben. And just his like secret respect for her. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was so cool. Yeah, he never shared that with Bella. Mm -hmm. So cool. And how Emmett helped. Okay, Emmett. Emmett like won me over in this book. He like really, I like never cared either way. You know, I was like, whatever, Emmett, like you're fine. But he's so endearing and sweet in this book. And his brother, like he's really his brother. Yeah. Yeah. We get more of that, which I really appreciate. And the way he looks at at Carla and Esme as his parents, it's, I, I felt it a lot more in this as well. It was striking how he imagined or considered Emmett's strength, Carlisle's goodness and Esme's heart and love as their superpowers and their super strength when, you know, he and Alice and Jasper actually have superpower. I'm sorry, Rosalie's super beauty doesn't count to me. (laughs) Oh, it doesn't count. Rosalie is like also kind of annoying, but I'm also intrigued by her. We... We get so little of of these long lives that they've led, uh, but I, of course, am always really fascinated by their superpowers and, and what they can do. And in this book specifically, I think Jasper blew me away uh, in his ability to navigate that incredible chapter where Alice is going through all of the different chores, as she calls them, that she has to manufacture in her mind palace to then execute to create the scene that will sell that Bella fell down the stairs and hides all the truth all all the true horrors that have happened and how at a certain point Jasper even has to touch the back of Edward's neck to infuse him like with some like Jasper drugs uh how he pulls them together to fight as a as a team oh Mm -hmm. none of that is anywhere and that is fascinating to me 
Yeah, it is. And you can't really convey it in a film, you know? It's cool to see them all work as like a cohesive unit like that, you know, where you really do see them from Edward's perspective, like everybody coming to the plate and having a contribution. Did they talk about it in the original books, how Jasper could make people seem less obvious? Because I loved that too during the baseball scene. Agreed. I was like, what? No, no that was nowhere. It's still nowhere. It on the mood play. Like it was some, you know, he was still doing. Right. And I like knowing he was right. doing that like during that part. Because I don't think in the Agreed. first book she talked about that yet. I wonder if she just like thought about m- more deeply what mood manipulation could do and how it could affect your perception. Well, your perception and going through like an entire saga of writing and then seeing what you've applied through the saga and then being able to readdress it in a different perspective. That's got to give her a hard edge. (laughs) Oh, I think giving yourself years to go back and and shed additional light on this world that you are still pulling together. I can't imagine that's every author should be able to do that. We'll get Mm -hmm. so much more out of it. (laughs) Cough, cough, Mm -hmm. Patrick Rothfuss, cough, cough. Cough, cough. Are you listening to this? Cough, no. Cough, cough. Better. He will never. Yeah, it definitely did reawaken the hankering for some fun fantasy supernatural reads. It also reignited the the hankering. Not a ton, because I've got to, you know, stay in control here. But fan fiction circa 2009. My word. That was a, that was a beautiful time. So many writers turned out to elaborate on the lives, especially of the Collins, making them human, giving them other powers, matching them up with different mates, playing with every single iteration of those characters you could possibly imagine. And some of the work that came out of that time ended up also impacting our literary world or romance world, literary world. I don't know what to call it. Ultimately, we had this incredible fan fiction called The Submissive, and it blew the doors off of, at that point, exposure to BDSM. The Submissive was an actual BDSM story. There were safe words. It wasn't about control in the way of um, a mental illness or, or hurting one another. It was completely within the boundaries of a BDSM sex life and, and, and structure, and it had an incredible following. The Dominant followed soon after, and these were early fan fictions, playing with different matchups and playing with different access to sexual content that Twilight did not have. And somewhere around there, another fan fiction was written by Snow Queen's Ice Dragon called Master of the Universe. And Master of the Universe set aside a structured BDSM relationship and created what we know today as Fifty Shades of Grey. That started as a fan fiction. And at this point, I'm sure so many people know that, but I'm not sure if everyone knows that there was an enormous riot against this fan fiction, Master of the Universe, because of how much it quote, unquote, plagiarized the submissive. It was just such an interesting time to be a part of the fandom because everyone had an opinion. There were so many incredible authors, Angst Goddess 003, Easy Rock's Angel in a Blue Bathrobe, Lamona, Janko with Vamps, of course, but Nev, Camusel, like just crazy, crazy, amazing authors. And they all took sides. And you know, fast forward a few years, Fifty Shades of Grey blows up. And we didn't feel like it was lifted from Stephanie Meyer because it had been changed so much from, it's called OOC, out of character. But it was, it was a lift directly from, from the submissive. And so I'll never forget that, especially once Stacey and I were working at Barnes and Noble and Fifty Shades was flying off the shelves. And I'm just like, what, what's going on? Now, uh, the submissive has been published. Uh, Terasumi has published the submissive and it's doing very well, but it's not Fifty Shades of Grey. And it's not The Secretary, which came out in 2002. So I'm like, who watched that and then just wrote it down as a novel? Because that's what it is. Exactly. If you guys haven't seen The Secretary, you need to watch it. If you're like, It's fantastic. I mean, yeah, and I it's, it's a better, I feel like it does a much better job at like looking at BDSM as uh, kind of like a therapy. You know, it's like helping them overcome their demons in a way, which in The Secretary, like really... I feel like grapples with that more. But yeah, it's just wild to me in the whole fandom fan fiction realm that the secretary is not brought up a lot more. Cause I'm like, this is a direct story ripoff in so many ways. I never even watched or read any of those, those 50 shades of gray. I've watched them. I never, have you watched them? My mom read one of them. Oh no, I was fascinated. I read the first two books. I couldn't read the third book and I've seen the movies. My other favorite Twilight experience was when I was reading probably the second book. 
before the movies and I was on the bus. I was going to school at the time. So I had to take the bus every day and I had the dust jacket off, I think, or maybe I had a different dust jacket on on or something. I, for some reason, felt like I needed to keep it incognito at the time. And then this black man across the bus leans over. He's like, you read New Moon? (laughs) You read New Moon? And then he lifted up his book and he was reading Twilight as well. And I was like, like, this is so amazing. I know it was really special. It unites us all. Our intern Rob wrote a blog post about his first experience with Twilight <gasps> 2. It's on our website, on our blog. I haven't even read that yet. Oh, it, we just, it just posted came out it today. today, but it's okay. so endearing. Yeah, it just, it really does like unite people. <laughs> but like in the shameless way you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being unapologetic and just like enjoying yourself. So I cool. met up with a friend that I'd never met in real life. This is way before like FaceTime, et cetera, and went to this TwiCon conference with her. And then I went to Florida and visited her and her family. And there are people who met through Twilight Fan Fiction who are writing books together now, who are still best friends, who are raising their kids together. Yeah, it, it, it changed people's lives forever. The connections that were made. It's just a lot of love. Who's your favorite Twilight character? Oh, that's such a hard question. I don't know if I can answer that. I'm going to say Carlisle after this reading. I really enjoyed him so much and his story and his beginnings. I had forgotten them and I was grateful for the refresher because he's very interesting to me. I don't even have a favorite character, but I've got a soft spot for Jalice, which is Jasper and Alice and their <laughs> and their love story. I'm a big I'm a big fan of that of that I connection. Heard you say that earlier, and I was like, Jalice. Do we ever <laughs> learn more about Alice's background? Maybe that's like to come, Stephanie Meyer. I, that would be amazing. That's what I would. I, I feel would like she want. seeded it. I feel like she seeded it in this book. She was like. She was in total darkness for years. Anyway, moving on. Come back to it. <laughs> and I don't know what a, an entire book from Alice's perspective would be like. We had that one chapter in Midnight Sun, and it was crazy. Yeah, it was interesting to see that in writing too, how her mind worked and like her channeling mm-hmm. through all of the different outcomes. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was one of my favorite parts of Midnight Sun. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. same here. I liked just the whole part of the Collins working together as a team and. And their family internal struggle of Edward, like, falling for a human girl. Because you get none of that in any of the other books. So just them actually dealing with the human problem. In the movies, Charlie is my favorite character. And there's an Instagram account now, gentle listeners, called What Charlie Swan Are You? So see if your name's there. Beautiful Charlie Swan. Okay, fun fact. Billy Burke is a Bellingham native. He went to Wacom Middle School. And when Wacom burned had a big fire a few years ago. He was tweeting or social mediaing and saying, my middle school is on fire. My middle school's on fire. I nearly had a conniption. Bellingham, that's you. That's you, Bellingham. <laughs> you, Bellingham. Billy Burke, Bellingham. Come on. Well, You're responsible for the stash, Bellingham. You are. We he got the dad. We did. Homegrown. Also, Rochelle told me this that it was Billy Burke's idea to hold Rainier all the time, to have Rainier cans. In it was. Phones. That is what I read because he had had it before, before Rainier shut down. That's a double fun fact in one. I didn't realize they <laughs> shut down and reopened. Holy cow, I didn't know that. <laughs> fun fun fact. So after revisiting Twilight through this 2020 release of Midnight Sun and dabbling in a revisit of Twilight through Rift Tracks, what are some takeaways we have about this pinnacle phenomenon that impacted us each so differently? My takeaway is like maybe don't rent Rift Tracks because that seems like an inappropriate <laughs> company to support these days. Mm-hmm. Um, tr- or try it out for yourself. See what you think. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's true. It really is. I wish there were some ladies doing Rift Tracks. I know. We've like thought of doing Rift Tracks for like action movies, but the fucking men at Rift Tracks have already Rift Tracked like every movie ever. Well, they didn't do it very well, so there's room to do it again. Um, but I don't know about like a takeaway. There's, there's just so many that we've covered so much. So <laughs> like I could have 10 takeaways, but I'll leave it at my Rift Tracks takeaway for now, I suppose. <laughs> and I think that. I will probably eventually revisit the original books. I would love to see, you know, where Stephanie Meyer started and where she is now. I, I really love reflecting on craft and how we grow and how we learn. And 
I've never regretted supporting this franchise ever. Uh, I've never been embarrassed. It's been too much fun and it creates too many wonderful opportunities for conversation and creativity. So I definitely think a revisit. Uh, I did watch all of the movies last week, just, you know, because I had to get ready. Oh my God. <laughs> it is so like Twilight is just delicious. It's shamelessly <laughs> delicious. Like watch the movies mm-hmm. five times a year, reread all the books. <laughs> <laughs> Do it now. Have a great life. <laughs> Stephanie Meyer says that she didn't write these books to teach anything she wrote them to entertain herself. And there's a lot that can be unpacked there with author responsibility, but she says that she's never been more entertained in her entire life. <laughs> and I feel like that's pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> that is really cool. And it is fun. Like, yeah, Twilight doesn't serve a purpose other than like it's awesome and a fun story to Outlet. get wrapped yeah. up in. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just candy. Yeah, that probably is close to my takeaway, actually, which is definitely based on the book. Like the movie, yeah, there are tracks. <laughs> There's like two laughs in there. It's probably not worth going, waiting through all that patriarchal bullshit. Email me. I'll give you my um, password. Let's not give me any more money. Email Cassidy Brooks at talkingacross.com and we'll figure this out together. But reading the book reminded me how much I love genre fiction, particularly the fantasy and supernatural realm of fantasy fiction. And it gets me excited to write too, that because it is about enjoyment, you know, reading Twilight, you can feel her enjoyment and how much fun she had. And when you're, when you're, when you're writing a story or whatever kind of writing you're doing and you're having fun, it's just the best, you know? So I felt that that's my takeaways that I'm excited to just go back and maybe explore some other books that I had read in the past or look for new ones and just get re-inspired to just sit in genre land for a little bit. Also, gentle listeners, sign up for our newsletter so you can read Stacey's fan fiction, Victoria. (laughs) Victoria, which I wrote, to be clear, about 12 years ago. (laughs) I did not read any fan fiction. I wrote one and was like... All done. And now we're going to put it on the internet. Talkingthegirls.com. Sign up for our newsletter, Victoria. Oh. There is no BDSM, fortunately. <laughs> no lewd sexual content. Maybe next oh. time. Uh, next time. Oh, Definitely next little, time. Ooh. I mean, there's some like sexiness maybe, but it's kind of fucked up. We've said so many bad oh, words on this podcast. It's because it's Twilight. It's Twilight. You and gotta fucking play fucking when you're saying fucking Twilight. And riff tracks. I think that's where a lot of it went. We were like, hmm. Radio, enjoy all the beeps. So uh, I'm going to count down three, two, one, and then I want to know what team you're on. Oh, let's do this. Hurry up. Three, yeah. two, one. Team Edward. Edward, team Edward obviously. Edward. Okay. Like, we're all of a certain age. We're in our 30s. I think, like, everybody our age and older, Edward, but like the Gen Z, what's wrong with you? Team Jacob, what's your problem? Get out of here. Okay. Because he looks like a baby. And can I just say this really quick? Jacob in the book is amazing. He's like such a sweet boy. Jacob in the films is a like conniving, jealous, whiny little B word. And it's just how it's portrayed. Taylor Lautner. He's adorable. Like Taylor Lautner is adorable, but like he played Jacob's character. So like resentfully, snivelly takeaway. Jacob's better in the book. This has been a quarantine style Talking to Crows production. So. Not Team Jacob. No.